Hi and welcome to another episode of your favourite football podcast and now it's called the Football Faithful Podcast. Peter, why not tell us why? Yeah, we merged basically with another website which was called the Football Faithful. As, as our regular listeners will know, we had the, the website name psfootball.net. We've now merged with uh, a friend of ours, Ben Guest. He was on the Prediction Podcast a couple of weeks ago. So um, his website was was called The Football Faithful. So we've merged and we've kept that name. His site was kind of covering, let's say, more match reviews and a lot of transfer stories. Whereas on PS Football, we were doing kind of more opinion pieces, uh, five of the best videos, quotes, etc. So we've merged the two sites together now. So there's a bit of everything on uh, on the new website now. So if somebody goes on, they can see the latest news. They can see five of the best Man United games, five of the best Premier League volleys. Um, look at some of the funniest quotes by uh, some of the football's most famous names. So, um, yeah, onwards and upwards, Sam. Um, all our social media accounts are now being merged into the Football Faithful. So it just gives us a, a bigger audience and we're able to, you know, cater to a bit of everybody's needs now. So uh, exciting times ahead. Absolutely. And the podcast, of course, will stay the same. It'll still come out every Wednesday and every Friday. Uh, it's just called the Football Faithful Podcast and uh, it'll still appear in your feeds as normal. Uh, joining me, obviously, Peter Callum's here as well. Are you alright, lads? And uh, we've binned off Danny and Carl because they were shit anyway. I'm only kidding. They'll be back next week. It's <laughs> fine. Right then, Peter, let's start with the uh, the big game of the weekend, which I guess was Arsenal and United. Was it a good performance by United? They obviously ran out 3-1, or were they just made to look good by David De Gea being brilliant? Um, I, I think it was maybe a, a bit of both. Like you, you need certain players to really play well if, if you're going to to win big games. They were definitely very, very clinical with their with the chances they got. And, you know, after 15 minutes, it goes 2-0 and you kind of think, OK, this is Jose Mourinho team. They'll, they'll lock, it, lock it down. But um, it didn't really transpire like that at all. And Arsenal absolutely battered them. But at the same time, United still looked dangerous whenever they broke forward. I don't think Pogba has a defensive bone in his body sometimes. Even when it is 2-0, he still seems to just be marauding forward with, with the you know, with the intention of getting even more goals. So I think I think Mourinho will, will have to work on that with him a bit. And uh, I'm surprised, because he spent so much time, obviously, at Juve with such an experienced team, that uh, he is a bit immature tactically, I think. Um, and that's why United were, were so open to, to Arsenal then breaking on them. De Gea was obviously brilliant, and he got, he's getting a lot of credit for it. But I'd say apart from maybe two saves... Most other goalkeepers would have saved them all. There was a lot of action, no doubt about it. But yeah, it's all about taking your chances at the end of the day. And, and, and United definitely did that. Having said that, Arsenal do deserve credit because they played really, really well as well. And I suppose if I was an Arsenal fan, I, I would feel a bit hard done by that, that all that pressure didn't, uh, didn't turn into, um, into, a, into a positive result for them. All in all, it's a great week for United. You know, we haven't talked since the midweek games. So I was saying then I didn't think we scored enough goals on the road. So they scored seven in two weeks, which is or seven in two games in a week, which which is really good. And uh, yeah, looking much much more dangerous on the break. Uh, well, for all the criticism of Mourinho over the last couple of months, I've always kind of held the position that I don't mind the game plan. You just have to be clinical with your counter attacking, and I think they've done that in the last two games, and you know it works out okay. I thought United. It, it's all about taking your chances. They took their chances more than Arsenal did. And 
for that reason, they deserve to win in the end. But Arsenal did play very well in a in a in an entertaining game. I don't know. I just realised something as well. Um, I watched the game obviously Saturday evening, and that that night when I watched match of the day and when I was reading all the reports of the game, everyone was saying how it was the you know the best game of the most entertaining game most enjoyable game of the Premier League season so far. I don't know if you lads are the same, but I was just sitting there going, I did not enjoy a single minute of that game, pretty much. Because when it's your team playing in a big game against a top rival, you're watching it through you know, the cracks of your fingers. Your hands are over your face for most of it. Especially the way, because United were under so much pressure. Afterwards, when I look back at it, okay, I can enjoy the fact that we won. But... You definitely don't enjoy watching your team, especially when they're coming under the kind of pressure United were coming in under the other day. Callum, what about it then? Because as Peter mentioned, Arsenal managed loads of shots, 33 shots, a thing in the end. And, and he, you know, rightly so, Arsenal played really well despite losing. But was that not just peak Arsenal? You know, just fuck themselves early on, like they always do, like losing the first leg 3 0 and then heroically winning the second one 2 0. Was it just like they fucked themselves early on and then rallied when the game was gone anyway? Yeah, it, it was a bit. The the uh, I mean, they've got a history of it now. Arsenal. Um, it was a car crash start, and the, it's the, the players at Arsenal. They just seem to have a, a bit of an issue with starting games. We've seen it a few times over the last couple of years. They've conceded two or three in the first sort of twenty minutes, and then they've tried to rally back in the second half. You remember at Anfield when they were four 0 down after about twenty minutes. So yeah, the. They've got to learn how to start games better uh, than that because good teams like United will, as they did on the weekend, they can put the game beyond you in, in 20, 30 minutes. So they've got to learn how to, to start games at a higher intensity. But obviously, yeah, they come they come up against, obviously, one of the best, if not the best keeper in the world. And when he's on his game, he's he's almost unbeatable. You know, he wins he wins games and points and that's you know, that's the, the sort of difference between good keepers and, and world class keepers and um he's been at the top of his game for a, a few years now. So when he's on his game he is hard to get past. But Arsenal they they just um they just fell short again in, in, in a big game and um I've said it before, I'll say it again, that they're, they're too soft. The until they get some some players in with a bit of character and aggression like they used to have types of Tony Adams and Vieiras, they're going to struggle in these big games because you need them types of players. It's it's all good and well having sort of your, your, your flair players like Ozil and Sanchez, you, you need them players. But at the same time, you need, you need character, you need fighters to do all the dirty work. So obviously then fancy players can go and stick the ball in the back of the net. And unfortunately for Arsenal, they're just a bit weak at the minute in, in that regard. And, I say at the minute, it's been like this for a few years now and they've got to start looking at getting them types of players in if they want to be competing. Yeah, I thought, Callum, you know what you're saying about um, having that kind of, that aggressive player, I don't know if it's at the back or in midfield. I actually thought that that Maddox was crucial to United the other day because there was a few times the likes of Pogba and the rest of them were getting a bit carried away with themselves, even when it was 2-0, you know, trying to get the third goal after 20-25 minutes and I thought, Having his experience in there and his know-how, keeping possession when it needed to be, even a lot of the time making little dirty, cynical fouls that just stopped Arsenal building up a lot of momentum. I think having a player in there at that level between top six teams, when you're in front and all, and the game management we talk about regularly, I, I thought he was absolutely crucial to United. And uh, it's just on, on De Gea. Um, I, I think after you know the other night and just his performances, this season so far, 
I was having a chat to, to a mate the other day about whether he, he is actually the best goalkeeper in the world because a lot of people still say, yeah, well, what about Manuel Neuer? And the thing is, I went, I went to see Ireland play Germany about three or four years ago in Gelsenkirchen. It was a 1-1 draw, actually. John O'Shea scored in the last minute. But I couldn't keep my eyes off Neuer for the entire game, right? Because he obviously, as you can expect, Germany had a lot of possession. But he, he spends the entire game almost up at the, the center circle, you know? And you just couldn't keep your eyes off him. Like, he was, right, he, he does when he's playing Ireland like, anyway. Yeah, no, no, he's making himself available like an outfield player, etc. And if there is any long balls over the top, he was hopping off. The, uh, he was hopping onto them. But uh, the more I think about it, that's great to have a goalkeeper doing that. But it's a bonus. It's like a centre back. It's like John Stones. Okay, he's great in the ball, but first he has to be a good defender. And I think if a goalkeeper's primary objective is to keep the ball out of the net, then David De Gea is the best in the world by a country mile. There is no better shot stopper than David De Gea in the world. He, he's really pushed himself on the last couple of years. Well, what do you reckon then, Peter? Because he's only won one Premier League title, obviously, with United. If he doesn't win something this year, a major trophy, if they don't go really far in the Champions League or if they don't win the league this year, Madrid, they're going to come calling again, you'd imagine. Do you think United can hang on to him and what will they do if they don't? Well, the, the word is that Madrid have given him an ultimatum um, that he has to go there this summer or else they're moving on to other targets. I think even though the, his move broke down to Madrid a few years ago with the faulty fax machine, it's a bit like the Coutinho to Barcelona. Everybody knows it's eventually going to happen. He's from Madrid. His family lives there. You know, it, it's all, he's still only 27, which is, which is very young in goalkeeping years, considering they play until they're nearly 40, a lot of them. So... Um, I think I think he might even go this summer. Um, like I said, it's surprising he's only actually won one Premier League. But I don't. I still remember the days he cost Man United in the Premier League in his first season as well. Do you remember he was flapping across us all the time? I remember a game against Blackburn in particular. Um, and I still don't think he's great under crosses actually. But um, yeah, I, I think if United can get a, a solid replacement in from um, maybe Oblak from Atletico Madrid, because I think their team might be about to break up a little bit soon. Yeah, he'll go with United fans' blessings, I think. He's been absolutely uh, outstanding for United over the years. And if anyone wants to have a bit of a laugh, go onto Twitter and use the hashtag DaveSaves to see all the best David De Gea um, memes and videos, etc. That, that's a good way, way to spend a half an hour. Uh, right, well, while you're doing that, we'll move on then to uh, Brighton and Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool continue to look good despite lots of changes, uh, Callum. No Mane, but Firmino managed to get amongst the goals, which is obviously a good sign. We spoke about him a couple of weeks ago and the other things that he brings to it, but it's always good when he gets his name in the score sheet. Yeah, um, the, 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 they're in a real purple patch at the minute, Liverpool, and um, I mean, everyone knows how how good they are. They are going forward. You could argue that they're on par on their day. They're on par with City in terms of going forward. They can they can absolutely just tear teams to pieces. Um, and yeah, Firmino getting back in the goals is is it's just everything seems to be sort of falling into place a little bit for Pop at the minute. Because with Firmino getting back in the goals, Coutinho was absolutely brilliant on on the weekend. Um, Mane is is always a threat. He's there. He's involved. And then you've got Salah, who you know is probably the least expected of him out of all of them. And he's just absolutely. He's in one of them streaks of form where everything you touch works out. Every move, every pass, every shot. 
is just uh, is just perfect. And 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 when you're in that form, he'll try things that you wouldn't usually try, and they end up coming off. So they they look. Uh, I mean, I know we've got them this Sunday. I mean, it doesn't usually matter. They could be on a ten game uh, losing streak. They'd still beat us, but um, yeah, they they absolutely look like a one of the best in the league going forward and especially now with Coutinho seemingly being being back to his best I mean because he can just pull a goal out of nothing the free kick on uh, Saturday was an absolutely genius bit of play and when they've got that sort of front four if you will all ticking and especially now that the defensive errors seem to have, have gone away for now it does seem like it's only a matter of time before they return but you know if, if that defence can sort of keep itself stuck together a little bit and, and with that attack they're just gonna they're probably just gonna keep winning and winning and winning games Liverpool um, they can they're one of these teams who can go on these big streaks if they have a good winter and they come out of it who knows you know who knows what they could do this season Peter Callum mentioned uh, Coutinho there and he really really looked on fire at the weekend yeah he, he's he looks I think he looks back to being his best maybe even better than he's ever being, he's 12 goals and assists so far this season in 12 appearances and his previous best ever was 2015-2016 he got 15 so 15 or 17 I think it is but he's well on his way to if he stays fit to having his best ever season for Liverpool in terms of goals and assists probably gone under the radar a little bit over the last month or so because Salah's been been stealing all the all the headlines. Mane, who was the main man up until about a couple of months ago, can't even get the team anymore. I have to say, I'm I've been really impressed with Liverpool as much as it hurts me to say it over the last few weeks because I know everybody concentrates on their defence and it is obviously poor. I think Klopp has maybe we talked before about the reason why they struggle is because they're so exposed the two centre backs. I think that the midfield are giving them a bit more protection and that and that's helping. But for me, the main thing that they're doing, forget the defence, one of their biggest issues was not being able to put teams like Brighton away, like Southampton at home away. They were ones Liverpool would either draw nil-nil or 1-1, you know. I, I think that they've they've really got to grips with now with that now and they're absolutely smashing them teams. So I think that they are looking really, really strong for the top four. And I was kind of watching Match of the Day the other night and I was thinking to myself that Liverpool look really, really good. United have had, had their problems as well, but they're starting to come into a bit of form. Um, Arsenal, even though they lost, they're actually in quite good form. Chelsea look very, very good at the moment. And I just kind of thought the season's really coming to a nice point now where all the top teams are really starting to play good football. But it's just because they've all had little stuttering patches up until now that City have just ran away, ran away with it. So... I think in terms of anyone that's going to pull City back, I think Liverpool have just as much of a claim to that as, as Man United and, and or Chelsea as well. Well, I was just about to mention Chelsea because they're looking fantastic at the minute as well. Hazard, just he's just on song and Morata obviously scored a goal at the weekend as well. So do you think that they're back in the title race or at the very least up there with United to go for second? Yeah, I think as I said, I think Liverpool, Chelsea, and Liverpool look like the the four teams out of the top six that that have genuine chances of if City are to drop points and come back a little bit, they will all be there or thereabouts in in challenging for for the title. Chelsea look very very strong, like you said. Hazard looks absolutely unbelievable. I don't know what England are going to do against him and De Bruyne and that in the World Cup in the summer. To be perfectly honest, 
Yeah, he looks on fire. Uh, we, in that, uh, Conte said it after the game as well. He has more freedom now playing in, uh, playing in that kind of central role behind Morata. Normally, you'd associate Hazard with getting the ball on the left. But uh, against Newcastle the other day, he was popping up all over the pitch. And he was just hurting them every time he got the ball. The ball, and then the, you know, the Panetta penalty. That obviously that tells you that that's a boy kind of brimming with confidence. You know what I mean? I thought, as I think we've highlighted it before. I think his his link up with Morata is superb, and I think Morata's just general hold up and link up play is is. I don't think there's many centre forwards, lone centre forwards, better than him in the Premier League. Uh, at that particular skill at the moment. It means they've barely... I thought they'd really miss Diego Costa because he was kind of a once-off player. But um, Morata's just been absolutely superb. Um, he's caught me by surprise. I thought he'd take a lot long, longer to settle. And uh, one other man that's kind of really, really showing his class once again is Fabregas is absolutely running the show in centre midfield for them now. Um, some of his passing is just, just absolutely like a joy to watch. Chelsea, a little bit of problem with consistency, you know, so far. But the the, the word is they're going to go out and spend in January. So they they deserve a lot of respect. And as I said, if, if anybody's going to challenge City, I think there's three clubs with genuine chances to do that, Chelsea being one of them. Well, Chelsea beat Newcastle 3-1. They're back in 15th now with Leicester and Everton up next. Uh, could they be in a bit of trouble, Callum, do you reckon, if uh, if this sale and the subsequent transfer funds don't come through in January? Um. I, well, they they they've just come off. Uh, I mean, I personally don't think they'll go down. Uh, mostly because uh, of of Rafa Benitez. You know, he, he's one of the best managers, probably still in Europe. And um, I think with him, they'll be safe. But they 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 went on a, a bit of a run through October. I think they were up in in fifth or sixth, maybe for a week or two. But yeah, they they they've got themselves into a, a poor run of form now. And they, it does it is a squad that really does need to be bolstered. The, the seen on Sky today the takeover they, they've they've come in uh, the people trying to take over with a, quite a low offer so I think in I think both parties want to find a resolution so I'd expect them to reach an agreement before long but there's still some negotiating to be done there but I think Newcastle fans and certainly Rafa as well will just be itching for it to get sorted because they do need the funds in January the the um they're they're a massive club obviously and and with this takeover. They're hoping that's going to sort of push them on to, to the next level. But they, they want to make sure that once this, you know, the money starts coming in, that they're still in the Premier League. So they do need to strengthen in January just to make sure uh, that they, they do stay up because, you know, they, they could go down. I don't think they will, but if it's a thin squad and, you know, if you, you get yourselves in these ruts, they can be hard to get out of. So you never know, but... They, they need to get it sorted out quickly. But uh, you know, going going back to the original question, I think there's I think there's certainly worse teams than them in this division. Certainly three worse teams. And as I say, on the Rafa, they should be okay with or without the funds for January. They they haven't had the success like a club for their size probably deserves over the years, and they're just itching and itching for that every year. Um, so it, it's probably uh, typical that when it gets to this stage, when it looks like it's going to happen, it's getting dragged out a bit longer. But um, as I say, I think they, they both want to find a, a solution to that. So it shouldn't take too long before that one uh, gets settled, I don't think. 
Uh, well, hopefully, hopefully for Newcastle, obviously. Um, right, and yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think there's definitely at least three teams worse than Newcastle. I think they should be fine. Uh, Peter, I know there's something that you've been wanting to talk about for a little while, which is uh, players talking with their hands over their mouths when they're talking to each other, when they're talking to their managers, when they're talking to officials. Is this something that annoys you or just something that, you know, you just kind of want to chat about? No, it's, it's not something that, that annoys me. I, I think it's... Uh... I think it annoys a lot of people, but I, I just don't think that the players have any option at all but to cover their mouths when they talk. Because, like, if, if Marcus Rashford says to Jesse Lingard, right, uh, without his hand over his mouth, oh, we'll go to uh, Nando's tonight. Within 15 minutes, that will be on every major, well, a lot of the major websites. It'll be all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all over and the next morning, you'll probably have some paper like The Sun doing a headline saying millionaire footballers, a cheapskate for going to Nando's. Um, and then if he had said something like, let's go to some place where a burger's 50 quid, he w- it would say millionaire footballer flaunts his wealth. So I, I, I don't think they have any choice but to do it. I understand completely why they do it. I think it's, it's shit that they have to do it. But I think it's completely understandable when you consider how the... The media, the media works, and you know the kind of twists they can, the twists like these papers can can make to just the most innocent comments by a player, and uh, yeah, I think actually the the kind of scary part of the whole thing is that um, not just in football, it's that that these papers, the kind of rag papers that, even though I know that they're, they're bullshit, I still look on them because yeah, I'm addicted to looking up football news, and and it's always it's always ever changing on. Yeah, I think I think the problem is that the the vast majority of society actually buy into the, the these bullshit stories and headlines that they plaster all over their their sites and and, and newspapers. You know, you have to be objective and realise that they're they're just trying to catch your attention. That most of the stuff is just completely fabricated, or not well, maybe not fabricated, but presented in a way to uh, to make it more dramatic than it actually is. And like you just have to look at what happened to Raheem Sterling there a couple of years ago. He was vilified for the press with the press for going to Greg's one time for being a cheapskate. And then a couple of weeks later, they were calling him a flash because he bought his mother a house. Like every fucking one of us would go and buy our mother's a house if we became a multimillionaire. But before you know it, he's getting booed on England duty. So it just shows you how many people actually take a lot of that stuff to heart. Like if they can affect it in that way, that just by putting up these bullshit headlines next minute, you know, a player like Raheem Sterling is is hated by everybody because of just sensational bullshit that their people are peddled day in, day out, you know? But it's the same as so many problems that people have with things in the game these days. You know, when people look back, oh, it wasn't like that in my day, it wasn't like, you know, or whatever, because... Now, there's, like you said, there's a million cameras, there's a million different things that I can go up there. I mean, it, yeah, I totally agree with you. It makes total sense that they do this and they have to do it. You know, it's the same with diving or at least going down if there's contact. They say, well, they didn't do that in my day, but now you have to do it. And it's worth a lot more to everybody and there's more money and there's more pressure and there's more everything on it. You know what I mean? It's, it's it, The game has changed and I think people just have to realise that. I don't know, Callum, have you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, it's, it, is a, it is sad, but it's... As 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 uh, Peter said, it's for them, for the players. It's not worth the risk, you know. A, a simple, just sort of off the cuff comment now, it, it can be completely blown up. I mean, 
obviously covering your mouth doesn't give you the right to say something offensive like it but you know if you're just sat there on the bench possibly and you're talking to a teammate maybe saying you know well, you know it's a bit quiet tonight in in the stadium if someone you know if the sun or, or the mail picks up on that and then they're blowing it up on online the next day he hates the fans and stuff like this and or maybe if you're saying oh you should be playing me today instead of him you know, just sort of simple off-the-cuff comment, you know, and, and, and you know, next day you're on the front page of the Daily Mail, you, you hate the gaffer, so it's sad that they have to do that, but it's, it's I think it's something, it's just become part of the game, and I think, it, it, I think when it first came in, it, it could have been more to do with the fact that, you know, like a manager and a coach possibly talking to each other, you know, if you're just there talking to him without covering your mouth, you never know if the other team have got someone, sometimes they have someone sat upstairs watching it on the TV, so, you know, if they could, you know, lip read, um, they might get some tactical information. But uh, as far as the players, it is, a, it is a shame that it's something they have to do now. But it's not worth the risk, really, in, in simple terms. Uh, it's just something they've got to do. Yeah, I mean, not even that it's a shame. It's just, I mean, it doesn't bother me that much when I see it. But it, it is quite funny when you see grown men and sometimes like hard men in football just leaning over like school kids, just whispering behind their hand, pointing at things, you know. But, oh, well, that's just, <laughs> just the way it is. Anyway, should we do a quiz? It's going to be a different one now because there's only two of us. Or two of you, even. Right, so the format this week, it's uh, we're doing higher lower, okay? It's all about goal scorers in the Premier League. So, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank... Scored 127 goals in the Premier League. Dwight York, higher or lower? Uh, Callum, you can go first because he won last week. And if you're right, it'll go on and we'll keep going until somebody gets it wrong and then it's sudden death, okay? Uh, I'll go for higher. Uh, it's lower, actually. <laughs> Is it? It's lower, yeah. He scored 123, right? I thought, so it's... I thought, I thought when Aguero... I thought when Aguero... Did Aguero not just recently beat his... His record for a non-European player in the Premier League or something? I'm not entirely sure, but uh, anyway, <laughs> maybe he did. But uh, Dwight York, definitely less than uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Not uh, that. Right then. So, uh, Dwight York at 120. Yeah, we'll have to do it. We're going to check that one out, Sam. Okay. Okay, fair enough. That's grand. <laughs> uh, Dwight York scored 123. Peter, this game could be over very quickly. For the win, Robbie Keane, higher or lower? Then Dwight York. Oh, I'm not sure. He's, he was kind of a ten or a fifteen goal a season man, Robbie. Really, wasn't he? Um, more than 123. What's over ten years? Twelve goals. Ah, yeah. Listen, I You have to give Robbie the benefit of the doubt. Uh, higher. Higher is correct. He scored 126. Should we just keep going for the laugh and see how far we get? Yeah, go on, go on. Uh, Peter, you won. You've got the points. Congratulations. So, uh, all right, then. Uh, next is Steven Gerrard. Higher or lower than Robbie Keane? Okay, I, I know. I, I, that's lower. That is lower, yeah. <laughs> what about Ryan Giggs? Lower, higher, lower than Steven Gerrard? Yeah. I might, I'd have to say lower, I think. It no, is lower. Gonna... It is lower. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Steven Gerrard at 120. Ryan Giggs had 109. What about Didier Drogba? Oh, he only barely made the 100 club. I saw this guy's sports there recently. Higher or lower than Ryan Giggs with what, 109? Yeah. I'm going to go lower. I think he got 106. He got 104. Very good, though. Yeah, 104. Ah, yes. You're right. So next up, Darren Bent, higher or lower than Didier Drogba? Uh, 
Nah, he couldn't. Know, I... Darren, he couldn't. It's Darren fucking Ben. Come on. I mean, he had a couple of good seasons. But... No, I haven't seen him on that, so I think it's probably lower. Yeah, yeah. It's higher. 106 Premier League goals. No <laughs> uh, Right then, Peter got the points earlier on. That was just for crack. Let's go to a break. So, as we said, this is now the Footy Faithful podcast, and if you want to keep up to date with all the things that we're writing, check out thefootballfaithful.com, and you'll get all the different articles, and of course, there'll be a link there to all the podcasts, too. If you find our podcast through SoundCloud, you're going to have to search for the Footy Faithful podcast instead of PS Football, but the really the best thing to do is just to subscribe on iTunes, and then it will appear in your phone every single week. Just go to the podcast app, find it there, and then you're sorted. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can find us on Twitter at The Footy Faithful or I'll send us an email to podcast at thefootballfaithful.com. Let's get back to the show. And we're back. Let's talk Watford and Spurs. So Spurs dropped points again and they've really, really gone off the boil. Can you, any idea why, Peter? I think it's uh, it's, it's pretty obvious the, the problem Spurs have at the moment. Um, our resident Spurs fan, Carl, has been you know harping on about the the lack of quality in, in the overall squad for a while now. And I think a lot of Spurs kind of difference maker type players, the Ericsons, the Deli Allies, the Harry Canes, they look really, really tired at the moment. I saw a stat the other day, I think it's in the last three and a half seasons, then three players have played something like 500 games, you know. They played nearly every game in the Premier League for their countries and in Europe as well. And I think, you know, with Spurs being in Europe now, they just they need a bigger squad. You could even see Chelsea struggling a bit at times after their Champions League games this year because they, you need a much bigger squad than if you're just playing in the Premier League and, and domestic competitions. I also think that they're really missing Toby Alderworld. Such a classy operator at the back. And uh, with Davison Sanchez out suspended now for three games after the, the elbow on Rickarlson, it's going to be a tough few weeks for Spurs, really. really. Re- I suppose the Christmas period is massive for every team. But when you consider Spurs are kind of sliding a bit, and it seems to me that all the other top six clubs, apart from Spurs, even though Arsenal lost, there was a lot of encouraging signs there. Liverpool are in form. United are in form. City are obviously flying Chelsea are in form so with these problems at the back their front players looking a bit tired if they're to have another if they're to be out of form for another two or three weeks they could really find themselves nine ten points away from the top four and that would be a very very hard task to to, to make up that deficit so um yeah it's it's tough times at the moment for Spurs not looking great the Wembley thing they haven't been convincing at Wembley, apart from, I think, the re- the two Champions League games against Real and uh, Dortmund, and then the Liverpool game. Apart from that, every time I've, I've seen them at Wembley, they've really been stuttering. It goes back to the whole idea of, you know, them being, being a counter-attacking team, not being great when they have the majority of the ball, as the stats have proved. The three games they were good in, they had only 34, 35% possession. So the last few games are, like, some of the wins they've had at Wembley... 1-0 win against Bournemouth, only got over the line. 1-0 win against uh, Crystal Palace as well. You'd have to say they play Stoke next. And the bookies are giving that 5-1 to one for a draw. I'm looking at that going, that's not, by no means a gimme for Spurs to win that the way they're, they're struggling at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough times ahead for Spurs. And I don't know, I might be being a bit harsh here, but I, I think it's something that might need to be considered. I don't know if maybe the likes of Deli Alley and a couple of the other ones 
you know, you're, you're going out and you're starring against the likes of Dortmund, you're starring against the Real Madrid, and they f- find it more difficult to get themselves up for the run-of-the-mill Premier League fixtures, or maybe they're not, they're just tired, I'm being a bit harsh, I don't know, but um, yeah, it definitely doesn't all look good for them at the moment, you know. Just a bit more on Spurs then, I mean, we've said this a couple of times, but if they miss out on the top four, do you think that this could be the end of the whole Pochettino project? Um, I, I, I think even even if they finish fifth this season and, and they win nothing, I think he, he will get at least one more season. Um, and I think that'll be I, I don't based think, on what it is. I, I don't think it's that Poch will go. I just think it's that the players might go and that could be the end of it. Yeah, it's. I think he needs backing in the summer. He, he definitely needs backing by the board because it's not just that the squad's thin. It's as you say, he needs to be able to pay the players what they're actually worth to stay. You've already seen Danny Rose complain. Um, you know, he, he's not going to be the only one thinking that. I mean, if the worst case scenario does happen this season and the you know they don't get in the Champions League, they don't win anything. I think I think next season could be could be the the big one, not in terms of you know winning some Spurs, but the the big push because it's hard to see the likes of Kane. Um, Ali Alderweireld sticking around. I think, I think they're the loyal to the manager. A lot of the players in that that team are loyal to the manager, and I think going into the new uh, stadium next season, I think he'll get at least another season out of out of the players, um, out of the majority of the players. But it's it is about being helped by the by the board as well, because one they need to they need to bolster the squad, they need backup. You need a squad if you want to go, you know, deep in the Champions League. A big squad. You need a big squad if you're going to actually win the title. Because as you've seen the last two years, they've tailed off towards the end because the players are knackered. So there's no doubt that since Pochettino's took over, Spurs have come on leaps and bounds. But it's in. It is in danger of possibly petering out before it's even sort of sparked. Because uh, as we mentioned, it, these players, Kane, Ali, Alderweire, Eriksson. They're going to be thinking, well, you know, there's only so much loyalty I can show. You know, if we're not making any real marks in in the football world, they're going to have to move on if if they want to win things. So I think whatever happens this season, I think the majority of them players will say we'll go with him to the new stadium, um, and we'll just give it everything we've got next season. If it doesn't go to plan, then yeah, I can see that Spurs team possibly being sort of quite badly split up. But there's a long way to go. This sorry. To interrupt you, Callum, but you not think um, you kind of look at them Spurs players as well. You're saying they're loyalty to, loyal to the manager, and I agree with you. That's great, now, but they also have also have loyalties to their families and 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 you know what I mean, their kids and all the rest of it. Their the mother's father to to be getting the best wage that they can. Like they must be there looking at Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker's gone. He's trebled his wages, and he's playing. You know, he looks like he's playing for the team that's going to win the Premier League. It's, you know, surely they must be looking at that and saying, yeah, well, I want a piece of that. Absolutely, yeah. The, the, there's no way that, I mean, Walker moved on. It, it's it's a bit like that with Arsenal, isn't it? When you saw Van Persie went, he won a league, you know, Nasri, you know, when they've lost their players, they've gone on to have success. And um, it is it is hard to stay loyal to, to, to a club when you're watching sort of teammates and, and even peers from your international team and in these massive books and, and winning trophies. So um, it, it must be hard for them, it must. But um, I still think there's a lot left in that Tottenham team. They just need to try and try and get it together. 
Uh, let's chat about your team then, Callum. Everton, they got a first big win under uh, under Big Sam, and things are changing actually really quickly. Two good wins. You're up in 10th. You're only four points off 8th, and I think 6th or 7th maybe off 6th. Things are looking up already. Yeah, it's um, it's been a good week. It really has, um, after what we've had to endure this season. They looked a lot more organised on Saturday um, and they were fighting for, for every ball again, which is, is nice to see. It's the best we've looked at in months, whether that's just a new manager bounce or, or whether some of what Sam has said on, on Friday in training is, has worked. But it is funny how, how, how quickly things can change in football. Um, as you say, you know, four points off eight now, it's, it's incredible that... People were saying, sort of, we brought Big Sam in to, to rescue us from a relegation battle. Well, he, he's already done that then, if that's the case. You know, I think there's there's more to it than him. Um, he's, you know, he's, a, he's an old school manager and he what we what we brought him in for was to sort of rescue the season, you know. Uh, and, you know, he's had a good start to it. But at the same time, we can't get too ahead of ourselves because West Ham and Huddersfield, you know, they've both been struggling. Uh, recently, but it was it was it was encouraging because you know we a, a few probably a month ago had a look at Huddersfield at home and thought God you know we could lose that you know uh, you know an energetic team and then it gets to, to to Saturday and we dealt with them so comfortably the first half was was poor from both teams and you know no one really threatened um, but the second half we just completely controlled it uh, scored two really nice goals. Um, Calvert Lewin was was brilliant. He he's had a few critics uh, this season because he's I don't think he's one of these goal scoring machines. He's never going to be a prolific goal scorer, but he works so hard. You wouldn't um, like to play against him though, would you, Callum? Well, no, that's it because he, really uh, he works he, the centre backs. Like. Strikes me as one of them who he looks a bit skinny, but he looks like he could give you a real stinger with it with one of his elbows or something. And you know he's coming on week after week and. Another real plus point is uh, Sigurdsson seems to finally be clicking, um, which is good to see. And I think if we could get a decent striker in in January, um, they'll both benefit because I think Calvert-Lewin is is one of these forwards. He'll do all the grunt work and and sort of lay the ball on a a plate for a more clinical uh, forward. And then, of course, you've got Sigurdsson, who's so intelligent. He's always looking for the killer ball. So... He's been starved this season with the lack of attacking options we've got. So now there's a bit of a bounce about the team and everyone's sort of looking for the ball again instead of hiding. I think he'll definitely benefit from that. But yeah, the the only issue is it's it's the worst game of the season for us coming up on Sunday because, as I said before, it doesn't matter what form either of the two sides are in. We just seem to completely collapse against Liverpool. Um and it's hard because you, you you watch it and you sort of think we've lost this one in the tunnel. You know, I, I I've often said we we could meet Liverpool in in thirty years time. They could be at the bottom of league two. We'd be you know top of the Premier League champions, and they'd still beat us. You know, it's it's the mindset. But the the bonus, the sort of positive thinking for myself is the last manager to win at Anfield was Big Sam uh, with Palace last uh, last season. So. Um, he's always got a plan Big Sam um, we just need to go there and pray um, but you never know in football we'll see what happens yeah Callum I have to I have to uh, say though see Big Sam uh, he just he, I already didn't I think it's a solid appointment by Everton right and I think it was a bit over the top some of Everton fans saying they were giving up just because they'd appointed him it was a needs must I think kind of to get him in um, because it was looking pretty ropey there a few weeks ago, let's be honest. 
But I just, I can't stand that man. He's an absolute massive wanker. He's so smug. I don't know if anyone noticed him on the, on the sideline the other day with his little uh, kind of earpiece in, you know, because he, he's obsessed with proving to everybody that he's this, you know, high technology manager and he would use his pros own stats and all. Like that might have been impressive in 1996, Dan, but it's not these days, you know. Um, and it, it was a few weeks, about a month ago, we did an interview with Richard Keyes and uh, Andy Gray on um, B in Sports. And he was over there, like, you know, playing the poor guy as if uh, us British coaches were, uh, were like foreigners in our own league now, and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, then in the next month, him and all his cronies got, got jobs again. But um, he, he just, he just, he's so self promoting. And did you see the. Uh, like, there was no need for him to come out with them comments he made about Marco Silva during the week. Did you see? Has anyone saw them? Where he was saying, yeah, yeah they basically, they, they got the better man during the end. Marco Silva can't compare to what I've achieved in the game. And I just, I was absolutely delighted when I saw uh, Silva's response. Because Sam was managing, I think he'd been rele- relegated in League 2 or something at the age of 40. Marco Silva's 40. He's already, he's won trophies with Sporting Lisbon, with Olympiacos. You know what I mean? He's in the Premier League at 40, flying in the Premier League at 40. And, yeah, of course, Sam Allardyce. Well, actually, Sam Allardyce hasn't achieved more than him because he's never won anything, ever. He might have kept teams in the Premier League, but he's 63, so he's 23 years up on the, on the fella. Like, And uh, it just shows that, like, yeah, how childish a lot of these, these people really are that he feels he has to go out and have a go at Marco Silva. And I thought Silva's put down was just top class. No offense, like Callum, you know what I mean. But your manager's a wank. No, I, I was going to say, I think, I think in in terms of uh, the comments he made, I think he's he's got a bit agitated because I think a lot of the press have been saying he's just sort of a stopgap, you know, sort Second of keeping for for Silver. You know how much I like Silver. I was, you know, I talked about one of the last few pods. I, I wanted him in, and he's a brilliant coach. Um, I just think he Sam's felt the media. Uh, you know, they've treated him a bit unfairly. You know, saying he's not going to be there for long and he's took a bit of a snipe at Silver and he shouldn't have done that because, you know, Marco Silva's he's handled himself well in the in the last few, you know, few weeks. You know, there's been pressure from the, the media. He's been sort of peppered with questions about leaving and he's, he's just sort of kept his head down and, and got on with his job. So I think he's sort of, you know, in a way, by getting at the media, he, he's got it Silver away. So he, he shouldn't have done it. And, and um but you know, as you say, Big Sam, he's a big character. You know, he, he doesn't seem to to care what anyone thinks. So, and he's not going to change now, is he? He's, he's yeah, 60 sixty-three. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about West Ham and uh, and City, or more specifically, City, because they didn't look fantastic. I mean, you know, obviously they were they had all the ball and everything like that, but they didn't look as fluid as they had done, and they actually seem to be finding results a little bit harder to come by lately. Do you think, Peter, that that's just because they're getting tired or are teams starting to figure them out? With the, all the games that are coming up over the Christmas period, it looks more and more likely that they might drop some points. Yeah, well, like I think I said, on I was either the last pod or, or the pod before, that I think this unbeaten run will come to an end over Christmas just purely because... Um, because of fatigue, they're just playing so many games. You know, you're only allowed so many players in your squad, and um, you know, I, I think that they'll they, they will have a little bit drop off. But I think they've won so many games now that they can afford to drop off a little bit and then pick it back up. Like I wrote an article there uh, yesterday called "The Hope." It's the hope that kills you because, like, I've watched all of their last three games, City, 
and going into the last five minutes or whatever, in the, all of them, they were drawn 1-1. One, one. And, you know, obviously as a United fan or any of the other fans in the chasing pack, even for neutrals, you're probably going, OK, they're going to drop a couple of points and, and we're going to have a title race. But they just keep getting over keep getting over the line. Um, I thought De Bruyne, um, and I'd stress the words by his own standards in this, looks has looked a little bit off it in the last few games. I thought he was actually by his own very high standards, not very good against West Ham but the other day, but then he pulled out that absolute peach of a pass to uh, to David Silva. So, you know, it's, it just takes one moment from a player like him. Uh, company, they rested company the other day, and Mangala looks like a serious liability. So I think a lot of other teams, kind of like what you said, Sam, I wouldn't say figured out, but they, they'll be feeling a lot more encouraged. Like, I don't, you're a United fan yourself, Sam. I feel more encouraged going into the Manchester Derby based on City's performances over the last week because it just looks like from corners and, and counter-attacking-wise, you can kind of get at them a bit now. There was, there was very little... You, you kind of looked like you couldn't even get the ball off them a couple of weeks ago and they were scoring five or six goals every week, but the goals have dried up a bit and, and there's a couple of, couple of weaknesses there. But having said all that, you know, on the other, the flip side of that is we've been told since we were kids that Champions win games when they're not playing at the best. And City City got nine points out of three games without ever being anywhere near their best. So the flip side is that just proves that they're champions even more. So, yeah, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how Sunday goes now. I think it's for City, they just don't have to lose the game. I'd say United kind of need to win it. But I think definitely kind of what you said about figuring them out. I think Mourinho's best chance, United's best chance, any team's best chance it is to sit deep against them, kind of draw them in and then hit them on the counter for sure. Without Drogba, though, that's going to be a little bit more difficult, isn't it? Because he just seems to spring United fourth a lot quicker than anyone else has been able to. A hundred percent, yeah. He's the man who, who breaks the line, you know. So, obviously, he's he's the creative spark of the team. I, I think he's a little... Yeah, I think he still has a bit of maturing to do as a player, but he's still very young, Pogba. Um, he gives you an awful lot as well. Obviously, a massive loss, but but it is what it is. You just need to, you know, you know, you just need to spend the week figuring out how to to beat them. They have loads of other attacking players. Lingard will fancy his chances of popping up. Local lad as well, having probably the best week of his career. Lukaku's bound to score sooner or later. I, I, Callum, I think he scored in both games against City last year, didn't he? For Everton, definitely scored at the at the Etihad, and I, I think he's betting comfortably then as well at Goodison. Yeah, he'll be up for that one. He, he, I mean, there's a, there's sort of a, I don't know, you call it a myth or what. He didn't show up to big games for us, but the whole team didn't. So it's yeah, you know it's hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that. Now, I wouldn't say all hopes lost without Pogba at all. I think they just need to to find a way of, you know, having maybe three players that just spring on City as soon as as they win win possession. I don't think that United can afford and try to go and try and press City as high as they did Arsenal the other day. I think City have better players. They'll just they'll take your three players that have gone forward to press you out of the ball with, with, with one with one pass. So um, I think this will be a lot. Mourinho will play it like an away game, but I think if United can be clinical with their counter attacking as they have been over the last week, um, I think there are chances there for sure. And uh, will it's interesting to see if Vinny Company's there because I wouldn't be surprised to see him going off in, injured fifteen or twenty minutes. His body just doesn't seem to be seem to be functioning for him anymore these days. So um, to sum it all up, so I suppose the main thing to say is that for other teams in the title race, although City. Uh, 
kept winning over the week. There are there is just a little bit more of a glimmer of hope when you're looking at City now. They look a bit more human uh, after the last seven days than I think they did previously. And of course, we'll have a, a full preview of all the derbies on uh, on Friday show as well. Uh, that just leaves us time to pick our prick of the week. Peter, who have you got? Uh, Riyad Mahrez. Why is that? The haircut. Don't like his hair. I don't know if anyone else saw it. The fucking blonde. He's dyed his hair blonde. Just look, some people it just doesn't suit. It looks like he was running with the ball the other day, and like his hair is the exact same color as the ball. It's uh, it's a disgrace, really. Um, not for me. What a prick. Ah, you're only saying that because you've got no hair, Peter. Yeah, well, Sam, like I tell you what, if if I did have hair like that, I'd, I'd treat it right. Um, I'd smother it with love and affection every day, and like even once a month, I'd say I'd I'd get a bottle of special offer prosecco, and I'd stay in and I'd watch the X Factor with it. You know what I mean? Hair like that deserves to be treated right. Believe me, coming from a man who doesn't have any, you see somebody just throw it all away like that, breaks my heart. What a prick. Callum, what about you? My prick of the week is Mark Clattenberg. Um, I never thought I'd, I've always hated him, and I never thought I'd be able to do this. Now he's moved over to Saudi Arabia, but uh, he's managed to give us a reason. After he, he sort of said uh, in that Tottenham Chelsea game, he just sort of let Tottenham get on with uh, kicking lumps out of Chelsea, you know, because it was part of the theatre, and he wanted to be part of the, you know, he didn't want people to say Clattenberg lost them the title. It, it makes you look back at some of his other refereeing performances over the year and think, well, maybe that was the case there. I've always hated him, um, and he's my prick of the week this week. Uh, well, I have to agree with you because I was going to go with him myself. Um, I don't know if anyone's got any other thoughts on this one. Peter, do you, do you, did you read the story about Clattenburg? And do you think other refs do it, though? Yeah, he's a man. Well, no, I, I don't know if any of you saw that referee documentary that Gary Neville and Jamie, Jamie Carragher did last year. Did you see that? Anybody? Uh, I saw. A bit no, of I didn't it. see that. Yeah, it was it was brilliant. Anyway, but uh, I, yeah, it was amazing to see the detail that they actually go into the refs. Like they're not just showing up; they know everything about all the players. They know who's you know who's going to be probably doing the shirt tugging at corners, etc., uh, etc. Et it's their full time job, basically. So yeah, they're all human as well. I'd say they uh, to to a certain extent they. Uh, yeah, they, I'd say they'd be chatting to each other. Oh, did you see how I let that one go there? How I played advantage on that one, you know? Went on to be a great goal. Yeah, well, um, sure, we know, obviously, Mike Dean running away in celebration because he gave a good advantage, you know? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, come here. Mike, I won't have a bad word said about Mike Dean on this podcast, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, they're, they're human at the end of the day. But Mark Clattenburg, I'll agree with you, he's a massive fucking prick. Like, do you remember he got the, the tattoos of the fucking... What was it? The European Cup and and was it the European Cup and the, and the World Cup on his arm? Like, uh, right. That's pretty much it from us. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again on Friday with the Premier League prediction podcast. Uh, all that's left is for me to say thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. Cheers. Take it easy, lads. And thank you, Callum. Cheers, lads. And we'll see you next time.